everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have two amazing guests with us today. We have Jim Bennett and Ian Wilkes from the amazing podcast, Inside Out. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? Awesome. How are you, Ian? Uh, great. Greetings from Canada, where everybody apologizes for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you one of the most beloved people in the world, though, because everybody yeah, loves we, an we, apology, right? It makes you feel do. so much better. So <laughs> the, the Canadians are warm, friendly, and we say sorry a lot. Oh, it's great. You know, I went to um, BC on my honeymoon. I went to the Bouchard Gardens and some of those other nice. places around there. So beautiful, beautiful area. Have you ever been, Landon? I have, yes. Been to the Bouchard Gardens and the yep. whole uh, Vancouver and the yeah. and the uh, island there. So My yeah, wife is from Port Angeles, which is where you catch the ferry to go to the Bouchard Gardens. Yeah. We've been there really? many times, taking the fast ferry where you throw up on the ship every time you go. <laughs> I spent every summer of my high school life um, at a writing camp. I would get a scholarship in Port Angeles and Port oh, Townsend area. Go. Yeah, it was, um, if you're, do you remember the movie Officer and a Gentleman? Probably you're mm -hmm. of an age where you might remember that. There's that barracks out there. There's that whole complex yeah, and where they filmed Port it. Townsend, yeah. In Port Townsend right there. Yeah, so I know exactly. Oh, beautiful. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Wow. Well, we've already made all the connections that you're here to see on Mormonish. This, you know, seven degrees of separation. Here we are. <laughs> so, no, we're really excited to have these guys on because they have started a new podcast called Inside Out, which is absolutely making waves everywhere. And when I've been mentioning to other podcaster friends of mine, you know, that we're having them on, they're like, oh my gosh, we love those guys. That podcast is incredible. So you haven't been around very long, but you're definitely making a huge impact. And we can certainly see why, having talked to you guys a little bit in our pre-meeting, and we're really excited to introduce you to our Mormonish viewers and let them know that, yes, there's another podcast you're going to have to make some room for. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there's, just, there's just no end. I talked to a friend today who was thinking of starting a podcast, much like if you remember the old show Talk Soup. Do you remember that with, with Greg Veneer? Veneer, Kinnear. <laughs> um, the, and kind of to curate and talk about all the podcasts out there in the landscape. Wouldn't that be interesting? So each week you'd get kind of a rundown of who's saying what on what podcast. And I told him to go for it because there are so many good ones that are popping up. Such really important things being said. So, all right, let's start with some bios of our wonderful guests. Uh, we already have learned a lot. We've learned about Port Angeles. We've learned about apologies, but let's get into some serious stuff here. I'm going to start, I'm going to read Jim's bio, and then we'll have Landon read Ian's, and then we will just dive right in. So uh, Jim Bennett is the author of A Faithful Reply to the CES Letter and, the most important part, a second tenor in the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. Past callings include two bishoprics, oodles of teaching callings, and a painful stint as a really bad Weeblos leader. I can relate right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Worst calling I've ever had. All my childhood traumas can somehow be traced back to the Boy Scouts of America. To the Boy Scouts so of America. Here you were a leader. Yeah, I'm sure you magnified it as as best you could. So yeah, that's I was I was a cub mistress for years because oh. I like to have callings that were kind of adjacent to actual church callings, you know, more community service. So, and I had all boys. So yeah, I was the cub mistress for years and years. So I get it trying to call leaders who don't want to do it, but they feel obligated to do it. Right. One time the we bishop are. said, yeah, no, you are. One time the bishop said, oh, I've got a great Weeblos leader for you. Now he travels about three and a half weeks out of the month. 
but he's dynamic and he'll be great with the boys. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. I mean, he's he literally not here. So if he yeah. ever sees the boys, that's right. But yeah, scouting, both a blessing and a curse, I think, to, to all of us growing up. All right. So that's Jim, everybody, a wonderful human being. And why don't you read Ian's bio, Landon? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Ian Wilkes oh. was born and raised in a socialist working class coal mining community in Yorkshire, England. You guys probably say Yorkshire or something like that. Yorkshire. <laughs> he was literally thrown out into the streets at the age of 16 for being baptized a member of the church. Over the years, Ian has served in various leadership positions, including branch president, bishop, and stake president. He served a mission in Scotland where he met Jim Bennett. He later moved from the UK to Canada with his family. He is an entrepreneur and investor in a number of technology-related enterprises in the UK, Canada, and the US. He is co-founder of the Inside Out podcast with Jim Bennett. And there it is. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much. I feel like a lot of our viewers probably know Jim. I, I think they probably do because we've seen, but I think Ian is probably brand new to almost everybody, which is really exciting. I, th I think this is really great. So yeah, I think we'll start an out. Interesting yeah. story for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I think that just barely alluded and scratched the surface of that. So why don't we start out just by getting to know Ian a little better, just kind of fill in some of those gaps there. And I think the theme will be Scotland. I think all roads will hie to Scotland as we, we finish. We'll talk to Ian a little bit about his background, then Jim, and then I think we'll converge at the Scottish mission where all things lead, right? Very exciting. That's right. Ooh. <laughs> All right, Ian, why don't you tell us just a little bit more, just kind of fill in your bio there. Absolutely fascinating background. Is this a time to put my kilt on and speak? We are it? hoping that you will stand up and reveal I, all. Yes. Gosh, I, 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 I don't wait to leave shaken, but not stirred. That's my, <laughs> I, I think the only oh, swearing. now John you've done Connery it. Is. because. Oh, no, now you've Gosh. done it. I have two celebrity crushes in my life, and this will date me, you know, because I'm like, you know, in my late 50s, but William Shatner, number one, and number two, Sean Connery. So oh, now yeah, that you've done big, that, big, big oof, fan I'm of just going to have to... Yeah. You're a big fan of toupees, it sounds like. And man girdles. It's and what I'm all about. So There you go. Yeah, I'd love to do a whole podcast in Sean Connery action. <laughs> if anyway, you do that, I, I won't make it. Yeah, yeah, I won't make it if you do it, so... <laughs> You so, do yeah, it really so well, though, I have to say. Oh, I? yeah, a, a little bit of practice, but I, uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, I have a, a very different background to, to Jim. I uh, joined the church at 16. Um, it was a time of, um, it, it was a, a poor neighborhood. Um, it was uh, quite a dysfunctional community. Uh, there were a lot of um, uh, issues economically. You know, a lot of people were, you know, out of work, et cetera. Very socialist environment. This is uh, just this is about the time when Margaret Thatcher came to power and promoted uh, something, uh, a, quite a new concept to the community I was raising called free enterprise. Uh, there was a lot of uh, um, socialist programs and benefits going on for people. And so this new idea of owning your own house, owning your own business, going, going and uh, getting an education. Uh, you don't have to go down the pit or the mine, the coal mine. You can go and do something else and I was one of those people that uh, connected to some not all of, of Margaret Thatcher's uh, philosophy so you know I, I thought differently uh, compared to some I felt differently compared to others and so I uh, had aspirations uh, but very little support from family and from the community so when the 
commissioners came to uh, uh, knock on the door, um, it was uh, it was uh, an interesting conversation. Prior to that, uh, uh, we'd seen the missionaries in the in the in the neighbourhood. The neighbourhood was was very rough. It was a, a tough neighbourhood to to grow up in. And I understand, in fact, I, I learned that the missionaries were instructed not to serve in, in the area that I grew up. It was quite a um, violent in terms of uh, not hard gangster type violent, but scraps and fights with, not with knives or guns, I think, but it was just fights uh, from time to time. It was kind of a brawl kind of community. So the missionaries were advised, you know, do not go into this area, uh, particularly in, in some of the streets that I, that I was raised in. And so when we saw them, uh, we they, were, they wore these, uh, they looked odd and very strange. They wore these trench coats and they looked like Inspector Gadget double agents. <laughs> and I think, I think the most uh, intriguing thing for us is that when they spoke, uh, they had this strange accent that we, we only heard on TV, like on Starsky and Hutch, you know, and, and American TV. And so it was an American accent. And this was like real Americans. And we were like, wow, this is weird, you know. Who are these people? They, they, they dress like uh, double agents. They talk like double agents. We were just in, it was fantastic. Who are these people? And then we learned that they were religious. And then we learned that they were not of the Church of England, which is the uh, Protestant community that I was raised in. In fact, to correct that, it wasn't entirely Protestant. The, the community was made up of predominantly Catholic and Protestant. Religion over there, as, as some of your readers and your viewers will, will know, it, it's, it's, there's a political component to religion over there. And Jim can speak to that being in Scotland with, you know, there's a, there's a religious, political and a uh, soccer or football uh, religious component in, in Scotland. In the community I was raised in, it was either Catholic or Protestant predominantly. And if you weren't part of those religions, we were Church of England. We never, my mum was a, a big advocate of Church of England. You know, we, 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 we were commit to Church of England principles and that's who we are with Protestants. We never went to church, but it was, we were committed all the same, which I found quite strange. But if you weren't of that elk, if you weren't Catholic or, um, or Protestant, um, then you were weird, you were strange. And especially when we learned that the missions were Mormons, and we were just, we heard strangest things, like um, they'd built these tunnels and they would kidnap people and, um, and they would brainwash people. And it was, a, it was a, we heard the strange things that this cult would, brainwash you and teach you and and whisk you off somewhere and you would never be seen again and, and it was what just year was this or era what year what yeah year were talking about? what era yeah yeah 1820 no no it i was, was gonna yeah. say <laughs> no. era sometimes that was the women that the years <laughs> no, absolutely yeah no this is in the in the mid in the early to mid 80s uh so i was a teenager okay. you know dysfunctional family dysfunctional community right. these these missions were very polite very smart but very strange looking very strange sounding and yeah. uh, for some reason, they they came knocking on the doors, and the first greeting they got was my mother, who was absolutely um, anti anything other than uh, Protestant, even a little bit negative towards uh, Catholicism, uh, unfortunately. And we had neighbours who were Catholics who she wouldn't speak to, sadly. But um, and again, you have to think, you have to understand that you know my mother and th that generation came from a very different time, a very different generation. Was growing up, but anything outside of that was just considered to be strange. And, and, and if we didn't understand it, then uh, we would uh, either attack it or we would fight it. And that was just in the in the mindset of the people back in that community that particular time. And I think that was the case across all of the UK, where the missionaries um, for sent well for a long time have been persecuted. And that that um, uh, 
that wasn't any different in the neighborhood that I was growing up in. They didn't tar and feather them, but they, but basically what happened when they came knocking on the door, my mother told them in very colorful language to, to get lost. I won't repeat it here on your podcast, but it was very colorful. I was just looking through the window, just wondering, uh, you know, what was going on. <clears throat> and she told them to, to go and, and we didn't see them, uh, you know, for a while. We saw them at a distance in, in other streets and roads and, and they were, they were attracting and we would, um, we would actually uh, go up to them and make fun of them and, and call, you know, call them names and, and, uh, you know, speak like Starsky. We're a big fan of Starsky and Hutch back then. And, and we'd call them Starsky. We'd call, I'd call them Starsky and Hutch. The start, the so guy. Can you do uh, an American accent? Can you do an, you made fun of them in an American accent then? No way, man. Totally groove on down, babe. How about that? Oh my gosh, that is not okay. bad. No, I, I understand this because I had I had several. I, look, I'm being complimentary of our guest. Okay, yes. we can talk amongst ourselves later. No, I had several <laughs> friends that served um, in the UK during that era, and every one of them said, "Rough. Those people are rough. It is rough." So I, I now I'm hearing <laughs> the other side of the story. Yeah. But they, you know, <laughs> were so different. <laughs> I can see that. Yes. Yeah, in certain places. I mean, you've got nice neighborhoods. I, I didn't grow up in one of those. Mine was a council house. Jim, how would you describe that? Uh, to a council house uh well i the the american equivalent it would be the projects you know government-owned housing uh usually fairly run-down housing uh it's it it's all over the place in the uk or at least it was 35 years ago when we were there um but uh that's how i would describe it and and, and it's not changed uh you know i i keep in touch with all friends and, and they live in the same place and same streets and and if anything, it's got worse over the years, unfortunately. But uh, so, you know, rough neighborhoods, you know, council estates, uh, missionaries were sent, you know, away, you know, with the tail between the legs by my mother. My mother wasn't the only one. They, they got a hard time, I think, from almost everybody in, in the neighborhood. I don't know anyone that didn't think they were a, a cult. And we, were, we had all kinds of strange stories. But for some reason, a few months later, they, oh, let me just go back to uh, some of the things that we did to persecute them. Unfortunately, I feel bad about this. At the time, I didn't, but I feel bad since. But they, we'd follow them back to their apartment or the flat. They lived above a, a, a grocery store called the Spa. I think Jim knows the knows the Spa. It's a, it's a chain of, of a grocery chain, and you can get your your sandwiches there and your groceries there. And they lived above there. And we used to throw rocks or stones through the window, smash the windows. We used to persecute them quite a bit, quite a bit. We'd follow them around, call them names. Uh, one of them was blonde haired. I, I called him Hutch. It was maybe. I don't know about ten of us in this small, you know, gang. I wouldn't call it a gang. More of a mischievous group of teenage kids that gave the mission. Like the whistling whittlers, right? You were that like was, following was, them around, causing problems. Go. I there get it. So, so, and yeah, I'm... so nothing. Go ahead, sir. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, no, nothing serious. Uh, I think the most serious thing I did, um, and and I, I kind of look back in a bit of a shame about doing this, and it was my idea, and I did it, unfortunately, but. When uh, Hutch, uh, that wasn't his name, we called him Hutch. Um, we'll call him Hutch for the podcast. He's Hutch, him Hutch. go ahead. Blonde, uh, the other one I had dark, dark hair. And so as he was cycling past uh, this hedge, we call it privet, this hedge on the council estate on the street, I, I stuck a broom handle through the front of his wheel and, and he uh, it was going some speed, actually. And he kind of fell, leapt over the... Uh, over the handles there and and landed pretty hard on the on the concrete and uh, got up and chased us and we ran away and it was pretty gray so so that was uh, that was the kind of stuff that we did and then uh, we didn't see them again for a while for a few months they came back again 
I and wonder why. Yeah, my mum was absolutely curious. So, so, so different missionaries, a few months later, different missionaries. I think what happened, Jim, is they didn't make a note in the uh, in the, uh, the the tracting street records um, on the you know in the in the book. They've got this book in the missionary flat apartment, which shows the previous missions where they've tracked it and when they tracked it, etc. I don't know if they actually recorded this, but they came. The mission. So they the should have flat. written down rocks. Sticks in the car, taunting. <laughs> yeah. They should have made notes of all these to warn the other missionaries that don't they even. <laughs> they should. And, it, and it, it wouldn't have surprised me if our address, which is 28 Graham's Drive, quite a notorious address for being, you know, quite a mischievous family there. And so, and we weren't alone. There's other people like that. And so the mission, new missions came by uh, a few months later. My mom reacted really badly. She told them that if they, you know, she said that she told the previous missions that if they came back, then they would be, they would be, a, you know, there'd be a problem. She then shouted very loudly to my brother, David, who was a minor. He was, was 20 years old, maybe 22 at that time. Big guy, very strong. And, and my uh, recollection is that David, who was uh, asleep through the day because he's working shifts down the mine, was woken up very angry. Uh, at mum's instruction and under her command came down and mum moved to the side and now David just smacked um, one of the missionaries uh, full on and knocked him out cold. Uh, actually, into, he actually fell into the yard um, and it was a bit of a commotion. He was out for a few seconds and, and this whole thing was kicking off. My mum was, um, you know, was really angry that they'd come back. And so uh, the missionary, he picked himself up, the missionary picked him up and the missionary got himself up and they kind of, you know, sped away. And, and we didn't oh see gosh. them. Uh, we didn't see them for a while. And then uh, a few months after that, there was a, um, uh, so we didn't see them, but it went, it went quiet and, we, you know, we, we didn't think about it. And then Again, a few months I later, wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. And, and I look back and I feel really bad about that. I, I, I do. I think it was pretty, pretty rough. That never happened to me. I, I don't think it happened to Jim when he was serving it. As a mission. I never, I never, we didn't, never got struck. I got I kicked recall. by a two-year-old kid in the shins who kept yelling at me, get an effing job. Yeah, but you, <laughs> you, you, you deserve that. You deserve that, Jim, to be fair. You deserve that. And so, and so anyway, what happened, fast forward, there was a, I think I was about 15, 16 at this time. It's a year before, you finished school at 16. And so coming up to, you know, finishing school, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, uh, somebody that we knew in the neighborhood uh, a little bit. And I learned that they were a member, a really sweet lady. And I learned uh, uh, at this time, this is a few months after that, that incident that happened, that they were a member. And they were having a, a an event called a family home evening that I thought was very strange. What the heck is that? A family home. And there was a, a girl that was going. There's always a girl, isn't there? Uh, there was always a girl. A girl. <laughs> always was, a girl. That, the girl that was going. And she and, and some of the people in, in the just further away from where we live had been invited uh, to go to this uh, this this uh, uh, event, uh, this event, this family meeting. And um, and so uh, this uh, neighbor uh, who was just along from where we live, a bit further down in the nice end of the street, said, you know, Ian, would you like to come along? So and so is coming on, you know, the girl. I went, yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd be interested. So, yeah, I went along. And as I went in, as I walked in through the door, um, uh, one of the missionaries uh, who uh, was, uh, I think he was a zone leader, had heard about 
our family and heard about our street, uh, when he realized who I was and my name, uh, so they must have known about us. And we weren't the only family that behaved like that. There were others, but we we, we probably were the most unpopular ones with the missions, I think. Um, when he heard the, uh, you know, my, my, my last name, he, he looked uh, like he'd seen a ghost. I, I don't think he, he didn't look comfortable. Um, you know, when he... Again, I, asked his I wonder why. I, <laughs> I know who I was and, and where, I, you know, I was number 28 and the road, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, he, so what happened, they had, uh, they were showing a video and, and this is going to give my age away. Back then in the eighties, they didn't have, well, they had VCR. We could never afford a VCR. The missions didn't carry the big VCR machines around them. But what they did carry with them was these small um, portable projectors. And they had this roll of film. So I'm giving my age away. And a they film would- strip. With the a film strip. Beep. That's how old I am. I'm a, I'm a film strip We're, convert. Yeah, so they, I get it. They put, they put the projector on the on the books or the scriptures, and they they would have a, a tape recorder, and it was um, uh, it was uh, families are forever, uh, and uh, and then man's search for happiness. They showed the two, and it was the film strip, and it played, and and every time that the on the tape on the tape the, the sound would would beep, and then they would move the the film strip. I'm so old, I. And so we we watched these, um, and I actually uh, connected with it. I don't know how or why, but I I took my gaze off the girl uh, for a moment and started following some of the uh, you know the messages, and uh, some of it actually resonated with me. That you know the farmers are forever, which um, something that I'd you know privately personally wanted but never discussed with anyone back then well in my life and now you didn't talk about emotions or feelings you you, you just didn't you, sh you should have but back then in in, in my experience that wasn't um th there weren't really any opportunities to talk about things like that you know talk about things in life in general and it just wasn't that kind of um family dynamics unfortunately and so you know listen to these messages and then the missions would would taught us the discussion about families being together forever. That's something that I actually um, uh, really connected with me on a, a very private and a very personal level. It's something that I, you know, wanted to have in my life. I wanted to be, I did want to get married. I did want to have a family. I did want to have children. And I'd never discussed that with anyone. None of my friends, none of my family. It just wasn't um, something that I, that we, that, that I ever did. And I don't remember having those kind of conversations with anyone growing up. So and so I, I felt something. There was some spiritual connection there that, that happened for me. And I I um, uh, kept in touch with the girl. I think I dated the girl. But the feelings that I had at that particular time, um, I really it gave me a lot to think about. I, I want to highlight this as well. At that particular time, I was at a very vulnerable state in my personal life, not happy at home, very dysfunctional family, highly dysfunctional community little direction don't know where i'm going to go after school the, the everybody want me to go down the pit of the mine i didn't want that i want to go to college my grades were not great so i didn't know if i was going to be good enough to get into college i was really a, 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 a junction in my life and really not sure where i was going to go when i left school and and again family life was 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 unpleasant at times and it's a place that i uh frankly needed to escape from and so I, I want to highlight because this is an important uh, topic here, item that I, I would like to get into at some point with Jim on the podcast. Where people often, I think there's a there's a commonality between people joining the church and people feeling vulnerable 
and feeling excluded and disadvantaged and then and then receiving and experiencing overwhelming support from the church and feeling accepted and love and that was that was my experience so i felt something i i then shared that uh, feeling with the neighbor she asked me when she, you know i bumped into her she said ian what do you think i said i i was i was amazing i not didn't expect anything like that i felt something she uh passed that on to the mistress um the mistress i heard were reluctant to teach me because of the potential fallout with my <laughs> family and by the way i've only shared a little bit of, of, of some of the things that happened there but anyway so so uh, they, I met with the missionaries. Um, she said, this, this sister came back and I, I met with her again. She said, the missionaries would like to meet with you and to teach you. I said, look, my mum will never give permission for me to, um, you know, to learn about the gospel or learn about the church. And, and so they, they said, well, just go ask. And I did. And I got a very, very, very strong, uh, understate, that's understating it really, a very strong negative response from the mother that if I had anything to do with the church that I would be homeless I, I would have to um leave and so that was uh that was quite frightening uh, mom was a wonderful lady but she could be quite intimidating frankly so anyway i went back and i said look it's not going to happen I, I can't be taught um, you know mom won't give that uh, that support and so i said but i would like to learn more and so rightly or wrongly and i don't know if it was legal back then i, I don't know if any laws or regulations were broken but they taught me secretly and privately um, uh, in other members' homes without the knowledge or permission of my of my mother and my family. And so I, I took all the discussions. Uh, they challenged me to, to get baptized. It was uh, quite a profound spiritual experience for me getting to know the missionaries. Um, you know, I, I definitely felt spiritual, uh, some spiritual feelings there. I look back and I made, I had a diary back then and the times where I felt the spirit and this is another topic I want to get into at some point. I, I felt it on the universal principles that the gospel, that the, the missions were teaching. Not anything um, necessarily specific, very unique to the church, like baptisms for the dead or the temple, uh, you know, anything to do with the temple. Anything that was quite unique or even peculiar, which is not in the mainstream um, Christian religion. I felt it more on the the, the principle of, of Christ and love and forgiveness and and um, and hope and serving all those universal principles that that's where i re connected spiritually not on anything in particular that was um that was uh, unique if you like and there's a reason why i um share that because i think people who are not in our faith who join other faiths or or even don't join a religion or a faith who do feel the spirit through a charity or through giving can i believe feel the spirit on those universal principles. And I think that's important to, to highlight. So I, I took the I took the discussions. Um, I they challenged me to get baptized. Uh, I just turned 16. Again, this is in the early mid uh, 80s here, and I accepted. I was quite excited. I uh, uh, went back home and and and, and actually couldn't uh, hold back the excitement. And, and uh, mum asked me what what what's going on and. She made me tell her what was happening. Uh, she again, mother, my mum reacted just ferociously and oh threatened me again. Yeah, it was. What's that? Sorry. Don't no, keep going. Yeah. So and so anyway, I, she said, if you join the church, then you're out. Uh, well, I, I, you know, the 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 choice of joining the church. And, and by the way, by this time, I'd been to church. I'd been several times. People were amazing. The fellowship was there. I met new friends. 
friends with standards and values because I, I I felt differently and thought differently compared to many of my friends growing up. I didn't I didn't want to sleep around. I didn't want to take drugs. I didn't want to, um, apart from sticking a broom handle through uh, Hutch's bicycle, I didn't I didn't want to commit. <laughs> You know, the only thing you had to confess yeah. before your yes, baptism, yeah. right, is the yes, broom yes. handle incident. Okay. Or mostly, or you, mostly, but not entirely, as Jim will tell you. But, um, uh, but sorry, Lana, go ahead. Were, were you attending a Protestant church at the time, or did you attend churches? No, no. no. So, so we were, uh, uh, you know, we were proud to be Protestants. Mum would say, you know, we're Church of England, we're Protestants, etc. We've all been christened in the faith. You know, we'd go rarely maybe christmas time easter but we didn't give it a second thought when when it was convenient we brought it up you know mum would say you know in your church of england you're protestant you'll always be protestant um it really didn't mean anything um from a day-to-day -day perspective it just it didn't play in our lives at all we went rarely the vicar would come around sometimes and say you know why don't you come and and, and um, you know we've not seen you for a while it was extremely rare i, I don't recall <laughs> going to church but it was it was we were committed to it and we it was a big part of our lives apparently so it was like uh, your identity and your culture but not your practice so that yeah and and, and and that uh that i found that odd you know we we were so-called believers and and committed but we never went so and so anyway i was going to church the people were amazing at Lana rebecca the members were amazing i met friends I, I met people who my age and younger who could get up and speak in front of people. I, I, I lacked a lot of confidence back then, you know, self-esteem, self-worth. It was very low. I, I didn't believe myself. I, I felt quite small emotionally, quite stunted emotionally in many ways and quite afraid, actually, in, in of so many things and afraid of the future. But I met these people, the, 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 the greetings, the support, the love, the interest was ex it was like night and day. I couldn't believe this was happening. And if you contrast that against how I was feeling about myself, where I was in my life, my family life, you know, very dysfunctional, not close to the family, couldn't talk about stuff, couldn't talk to anyone about things that I wanted to talk about. Um, it was literally night and day for me. And so I, it, it was easy to leave. I, I had a choice of either do I stay with this um, awful experience, and, and it was for the most part, or do I go to this new life? And and actually, in many ways, it was very easy because I was giving up all this um, very dysfunctional, uh, not entirely unhappy, but certain aspects that were, um, you know, caused a lot of unhappiness. And then I was going to this this extraordinary uh, group of people, and and so from that, that was like a that was easy to do. Um, and I knew at some point this whole thing would come to a head. And so anyway, they they. I got baptized. They baptized me. Um, there was quite a few people turned out. Uh, it was extraordinary. Uh, none of my family, of course, came. They, they didn't know about it. I was baptized secretly, privately. And so I, I went back and uh, and they, they said, look, you've got to tell your mum what's happened. So I went back and I told her. And I think within a space of 20 minutes, half an hour, I was my bags were packed. I had a plastic bag, a little carry bag with my things in there. Not much. I didn't own much. Had a few pence because in my you're pocket. 16. <laughs> Who 16. owns much when they're 16? That's just incredible. Oh my goodness. And I was afraid. I was so afraid. I walked up that street, Graham's Drive, with my dog, Shep, and threw my dog out with me as well. So I, I walked up the street. I was completely numb. I, I, I was bewildered. I, 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 it was the most awful experience. And I was, I was homeless. And so I, I slept on a packed bench, I think, for two nights. And then I slept. 
with some on a friend's couch for you know a couple of nights, and then I reached out to the member, the the, the lady who's I, I originally met and told her what was going on, and she something amazing happened. They all the members mobilized, the leadership mobilized at the state level, the ward level, and again, this is an incredible, uh, extraordinary quality that the church has to mobilize and organize and structure resources to help someone like me, extremely vulnerable, very lost, very afraid, you know, of, of uh, what's going to happen and really, uh, really shaking with fear and um, difficult to think, look back uh, and remember that time without getting uh, emotional. But uh, the memories are still quite clear to me that, you know, when we experience that kind of trauma, uh, it, it leaves an indelible impression or it can uh, you know, for the rest of your life, and and you remember these things, and and they're they're they're, they're pivotal times and moments, which you know where your life changes, and and this was one of them for me. And so the bishop got involved. Um, what happened, by the way, is is just a bit of a side point, and I'm taking up too much time here, probably. But prior to um, uh, leaving school, uh, I had a uh, interview with the careers advisor who instructed me, told me that Ian. Your grades might get into college. You probably won't be good enough for college. Um, you should consider going down the pit, going down the mine with your older brothers. I said, look, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to go. To, I'm going to apply uh, anyhow. And so they said, okay, you, you know, your loss, whatever. It, it was a very uh, school back then in, in England was very very different. Now it was like keeping you down. You can't achieve that. Keep you know, set your goals low. Go down the pit because everybody else is going down the pit. Um, don't even think about going to college again. This was this was the advice for people who came from my neighborhood. The 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 the, the, the more well off guys have probably got different advice. That that's that's my that's my understanding. That's my experience. And so they said, you know, your family go down the pit. That's what that's what you guys do. And so I said, nope. I said I'm going to apply for college, and I submitted my uh, college application. And in all the time I was being taught, going to church, just after I got baptized, I got a letter uh, confirming that I just made this college course. I just scraped in. And so this was in a completely different town, 10 miles away, away from this place I was trying to escape, this, this infamous street that I was trying to escape from. And I went to Wakefield College. I got in. I just scraped in. The Bishop of Wakefield of the ward there took me in. Uh, his daughter had gone to college somewhere else, so they had a spare room. He was the bishop. They were very strong in the church, quite well off. So, you know, they they when they basically took me in. Uh, one thing that they uh, they couldn't accept or take in was my dog. And and I, I have a, a painful memory of having to take my dog to a farm. Um, Shep, I took him to a farm and memories of, of him. It was very confused as to why I was leaving him at this farm. I was walking away and I was in tears and I was 16 and the family couldn't, they had a cat or cats. They couldn't take the dog as well as me. And very close to me saying, no, Damn I was people. very close, close to the dog, but they're a wonderful family. And so that was a, a mixed experience. And then they showed me around this house, this, 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 you know, very posh house. And this is your bedroom. And I was like, I, I just wasn't, it, it just wasn't sinking in. These, these were people who were not rich, but they were, for me, they look rich. They look well off and, and, um, an incredibly successful, very functional family. But basically, they took me in. They loved me, and and they and I I, I just um, uh, I attended all the youth programs in the YSA. In the meantime, when I, I joined the church, by the way, Mum reported um, the church and the mysteries to the police, to the CID, which is the Criminal Investigation Department, 
and told them that the missionaries had actually kidnapped me. Oh my god! Yeah. So, the, so I, I I went to stay. I, I, so within a few days of leaving, being thrown out, I went to stay with his family. The police came round uh, because they were following up on an inquiry that had been kidnapped by the Mormons and had been brainwashed. And so when they met with me, I was 16 at this time, they met with me, I was on the doorstep and said, look, I'm, I'm here of my own free will and uh, I'm not going back and this is my decision and I'm safe. And they, they interviewed me and I was fine and, and that was it. And so I never, I never saw my mum for about a year. And so I, I uh, you know, we had a big falling out. It was, it was a, a mixed experience in many ways. It was, it was tragic, and 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 it was uh, a time of of newfound joy as well in my in my new life. And so I was involved in the youth program. I went to seminary. Uh, I, I, you know, went through the entire you know priesthood uh, uh, organization. Um, a year later, I did get the opportunity to meet with my mom, and we did patch things up. And this will astonish, I don't think Jim knows this, but uh, my mom, my mother, eventually joined the church. <laughs> your mother, who told your brother to flat out deck a missionary and knock him out, yep. eventually yep. joined the church. Eventually. So years later, and I, I, I mentioned that on a bit of a, a punchline there, because there's a lot, a lot of stuff leading up to that, which we haven't got time to get into here. Um, but over the years, uh, as, as I patched things up with mother, with my mum and um, and then introduced the missionaries to my mum and then she realised that they didn't have three heads, that they were quite normal, even though they had these weird, strange American accents, uh, she kind of softened and she mellowed in the years and she joined the church and she died a, a member of the church. And so that, that was a whole other period in my life where we were able to reconcile. I was able to establish, for the first time actually, a probably a, some semblance of a normal relationship with my mom before she passed away. And I'm very grateful for that. But anyway, I, I, I've probably taken way too much time and Jim's been very patient there. No, in the background. there's, there's no limit. Your story is absolutely incredible. Did your brothers join the church or are you no, still they, the only they, one of your no, brothers? No, so your mother I, 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 and nobody else that, did. That's right. That's right. So that makes sense. my, my brothers were always, uh, you know, standoffish. They thought I was a bit strange, especially going on a mission. Right. You know, I, 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 I an amazing job, uh, a career um, for going on a mission. I thought I was absolutely crazy but for doing that. In fact, the company that I was working with, I thought I was absolutely mad. This, I was I had this amazing uh, work, job, career, um, and they said, "I, you know, you never get back into it when you get back from this weird religious thing that you, you're going to do, knocking on doors. It's the most strangest thing." The Brits see the Mormon uh, faith as being extremely cultish and very odd and very strange. Right. And and don't hold back on their on their judgments of that. But anyway, when I came back, I, I and I was I was uh, I tried to get my old job back. I spoke to my old boss, and he told me with a few expletives because he was very angry that I'd left this job. He said, uh, "Ian, you've been out of it for two years. You'll never get back into it. Um, you know, if you do, you won't be able to compete with us." Anyway, long story short, I, I I ignored the advice, and I ended up buying his company about five years later. And uh, and then grew the business to the largest um, uh, plastic technology company in the UK, which I sold in um, well a few years later. So I, I'm I'm not very good at taking advice. Uh, well, cer certain advice, certain advice. You know, certain don't advice. go down the which is a good well, thing. I went to college. Don't join the church. I did. The church actually saved you my did. life, by the way. 
the church yeah. acts to save a life because there were dark moments uh, prior to joining the church. And, and I owe the church a lot. It really saved my life. And so I, I've learned, for the most part, to recognize good advice, follow it. Not, not always. You know, I'm human like anyone else. Um, but on the key decisions, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed to have made typically good decisions, I think, on those important things. And, and that led me to, and here's a nice segue, led me to go on a mission into Scotland and to meet Jim Bennett. And there it is. Your whole life uh, sounds like a Dickens novel. I, mean, I was going to say a musical. A Oliver, musical, a Dickensian story, Horatio Alger. <laughs> yeah. I, we're just enthralled. So, But no, that's perfect. Now we'll we'll hear a little bit about Jim and if you could just lead up to the mission and then you guys together can talk about what that whole crazy thing was like because this is a great story. My life was deeply boring, so we can skip it. <laughs> the mission. I don't think so. No, your no. life was not deeply boring. I oh. know some details. <laughs> oh, well, oh, geez, I don't want to get there. <laughs> no, I, I mean, we, we served in Scotland in the, in the late eighties. I was there from 87 to 89. I think Ian went home in 88. Isn't that right, Ian? Or, 89, John. You, you did go home in 89. Okay. Uh, but Ian was, was kind of, he was the rock star. You know, when I, when I first met him, he was a branch president down in Stranraer at the bottom of Scotland while he was a missionary. He likes branch to president say that they've Wilder never released missionary. him. So he's still a branch president <laughs> down there. Um, but uh, he was just this, this rock. And, and I got to know him a whole lot better when he was my zone leader. We were in the Inverness zone in Scotland. And back then the Scotland Edinburgh mission was the entirety of the country of Scotland. Now it's the Scotland Ireland mission. And it's both Scotland and the entirety country of I Ireland. And, you know, the, the church, there are, I've, by all reports, there are about half as many active members now as there were when we were there. Uh, the church has really, really struggled uh, in Scotland. Uh, but uh, in the Inverness zone, that zone took up the entire northern half of the country. And you had, you had about 10 missionaries spread all the way across everywhere. And we got to get together for about three or four days a month for a zone conference. And we all got to just crash in Ian Wilkes's flat. And it was just the most fun anybody could possibly have. We stayed up way too late doing way too many goofy things. And there wasn't nearly enough toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> there never is. And there never is. So we used, we used, um, we used the missionary report, the green sheets, we called them. Uh, they doubled this toilet paper for a while. I remember one of the couple wow. missionaries was rather upset because he came out of the bathroom and he said, I guess all you guys do is use your hands. Oh my God. I, I'm not shaking your hand, at least not for the rest of this zone conference. But, uh, but no, I got to know Ian. I, we were never companions, but uh, I always looked up to him and he was always kind of a leader and everybody looked up to him. And we kept in touch after, after we came home. Uh, I didn't keep in touch with a lot of missionaries, but I kept in touch with Ian. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, and I mean, his story, he's told you the exciting story of how he joined the church. Uh, his story of the departure from the church is equally exciting. I, I you know, I, I kind of came into that. He invited me uh, to come to Canada and speak to his stake. He wasn't the stake president. He was a counselor in the stake presidency. 
And this was this was I don't know how many years ago this was Ian. What five years ago, six years ago? Yeah, uh, that, yeah. maybe a little more than that. Uh, but uh, he said, you know, w- come on up and come up to Canada and come speak to the young single adult ward. And I waited and I didn't hear anything for a long time. And then I called him and I said, Ian, am I still scheduled to come up? And he said, well, I'm not sure. I've left the church. <laughs> I went, oh, well, that kind of complicates things. A little but wrench I, I, there, a little glitch. <laughs> I, I got in touch with his stake presidency and they said, no, we still want you to come. And so our family, we went up and I did speak, but uh, I spent a lot of really good time just hanging out with Ian. And uh, we were in a restaurant and he thought it was fun to like order things like colob juice and not explain <laughs> to the waiter what colob juice was because it isn't anything. But apparently um, Ian's done that a number of times that at one point, Somebody brought him something that was just absolutely wonderful. And he thought, geez. Colab juice is the best. Colab juice is really, really good stuff. I'm feeling like you guys need to invent this and market it. I think a lot of people would drink it if you came up with the the Colab Cola (laughs) or something. This is great. I think you're right. But, you know, the the missionary times, I, I spent a good chunk of my mission clinically depressed. I think I would have been sent home under current guidelines. You know, a lot of missionaries come home for their mental health and I was just absolutely miserable. And it was people like Ian Wilkes that kind of kept me going. I was like, okay, if someone like that can, I mean, I, I was just so fascinated with his story. So fascinated with his, you know, our mission president used to hold him up as an example and talked about how Ian tried to reconnect with his estranged father uh, and, and all kinds of things. And I thought, geez, you know, I've had it easy. Guys like Ian Wilkes have not. They've had to fight for their testimony. They've had to fight to be in the church. And uh, I just kind of toughed it out and, and made my way through the mission. But Scotland... Did you did you have like a cognitive dissonance issue or what do you feel it was? Or no, just no, general... it wasn't. Well, see, I mean, if, if you want to get like into like... It wasn't like a faith-related issue. It was no. more just like circumstantial and... I've told this story a zillion times to a bunch of podcasters, but I'll, the, the quick version is I, I had my, <laughs> my version of a faith crisis when I was about 18. Mm-hmm. I was a theater major at the University of Southern California. I had a Pentecostal roommate in the dorms. We would argue religion. And uh, I think one of those arguments spurred me to go check out the book, The Godmakers. Uh, that was a book and a that movie, but I never yeah. saw the movie. I just read the book. And the book freaked me out. It wasn't it wasn't the kind of stuff you read now where it's just the church is a complete fraud. It was the church is a cult that's going to drag you down to hell and Satan runs it and, you know, all this stuff. And I just panicked. I just sort of flew apart and I didn't have any resources there at school. Uh, But I called my father who talked me off the ledge. And I had resources to get through that that I think a lot of people don't, in that I had a father who was able to, who who knew the issues, was able to talk to me about the issues in a way where I didn't feel judged. Uh, Nobody was mad at me for reading this book. Nobody told me I shouldn't be asking these questions. And when I came home for Christmas that year, that my freshman year, my parents I grew up in Southern California. My parents moved to Utah right after I graduated from high school. And so I came home to Utah, first time I'd actually even been in Utah. 
And the elders quorum there was passing out a copy of a book called The Truth About the Godmakers, which was written by a guy named Gilbert W. Scharfs, who I'd never heard of and who nobody's ever heard of. I since got a chance to meet him, and he's a very nice man. I think he's still alive. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, but it went line by line through the Godmakers. And it wasn't that it it answered all of my questions perfectly, but it was that it calmed me down. It was like, oh, okay, well, my dad hasn't left the church, and he knows all this stuff. Gilbert Scharfs points out that there are other ways to look at this. And what it did was sort of give me a chance to calm down and to put a break on my panic. I didn't feel like I had to fly off the handle and I had time to sort of research these issues on my own. So by the time I got to Scotland, I, it wasn't an issue of faith crisis stuff. It was just depressed. I mean, I was dating a girl. Uh, it's always a girl. Zian tells you. Uh, I'd actually baptized her. We we dated. She was a Catholic, and uh, she went to a um, she went to a chapel. I, I didn't even want to tell her about the church. I didn't want to talk to her about the church, and she went and investigated it, kind of behind my back. And uh, I sat through the missionary lessons with her, and um, she ended up getting baptized. And so that was kind of when I decided, okay, I'll go on a mission. And uh, but. It, I, I was missing my girlfriend. I was missing, every, and I was just miserable and I was depressed. She ended up marrying another guy from my mission that uh, Ian Wilkes knows. And I always think of that guy and think he has done me the greatest service that any human being can do another human being. Uh, that's a long, messy story. <laughs> But wow, uh, there is another story there. I feel like Landon, we need to keep a list of other stories and other have stories. Back on. That's right. <laughs> other stories. I've got a list here, a running tally. Here we go. <laughs> but but so so my sort of foray into this kind of these kinds of conversations came when I read the CES letter. Because I had family members that were leaving because of the CES letter. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh no. I mean, I mean, the way people would talk about the CES letter, it was just this magical document that there was right. no possible way you could read it and still stay in the church. And I went, okay, I gotta read it. And I read it and I got all these Godmakers flashbacks. I mean, it was coming from a different perspective. Jeremy Runnels is not an evangelical Christian. Uh, and he wasn't telling me I'm going to hell. He's just telling me that the church is a fraud. But, you know, issues like the Kinderhook plates and, mm-hmm. you know, problems with the temple and the book of Abraham and all of that, all of that was in the Godmakers too. And so what I started doing, kind of almost against my will, you know, I'd been blogging forever and my blog had Mormon stuff, but it also had pop culture stuff and other stuff. And I started just cutting and pasting pieces of my blog into uh, the CES letter. You know, like he write about the Kinderhook plates and I'm like, oh, I'll take my blog about the Kinderhook plates and I'll just slap it there and just, well, and then I ended up just, I decided I was paying Gilbert W. Sharfs forward. And I, and I did a line by line response to the CES letter. And, uh, and that, that I was not prepared for the kind of hunger there was for that. There had not been anything specifically like that. I mean, Fair Mormon had done this, this, I mean, there was a collection of articles about it. And then there were these a lot of these really short responses. You know, Daniel Peterson gave a talk at FAIR about CES letter, and here's why you don't need to worry about it. 
but nobody had actually responded to the letter in the way that he wanted the CBS director to do. So like a, like a jerk, that's what I did. And, uh, and it shut down my website. The first day I published it, it was on April 1st. And I learned in retrospect that if you want something taken seriously, don't publish it on the 1st of April. Uh, but, Hindsight. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but it, I, I mean, I was just flooded with people trying to download it. It's been downloaded right. uh, by my count over 200,000 times. Uh, and, uh, but it's also propelled me into this interesting world because uh, I then started talking to critics of the church who expected me to be this kind of hardcore apologist doing battle. Right. And that's really, uh, I don't think that helps anybody. I really don't. I, I think what helps people uh, stay in the church is to say, okay, well, this is how I did it. Uh, you know, this is how I approach it. Uh, this is how I reconcile, you know, these problems with my own personal testimony. Your mileage may vary. Your mileage will vary. And I hope it does. But that's what kept me in. It wasn't that Gilbert W. Sharps had all the answers. It was that, oh, he seems like an intelligent guy and he's able to do this. Maybe I'll be able to do this. And so that's kind of been the approach. But what's happened is, as I've talked to John Belin and I've talked to Bill Real and I've talked to all of these, all of you wonderful, delightful apostates, it's, um, no, I, I say that very tongue in cheek because I've, I've met so many wonderful people. What I've discovered is that there is an equal hunger um, for any kind of dialogue between people in the church and out of the church mm-hmm. that is kind, that is, that, that, you know, that builds, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to get Ian Wilkes to come back to church. I'm not trying to get anybody to come back to church. I'm trying to demonstrate that when somebody leaves the church, they don't have to, um, they don't become the enemy. That all of the goodness that they had when they were in the church goes with them when they leave the church. The church church is poorer for all of the good people who who feel like they have to leave. I think the church is immeasurably poorer because Ian Wilkes is no longer a member. And and I now I used to when I wrote my CES letter reply, I used to get all kinds of messages from missionaries, people that were struggling, and they'd say, hey, thank you, you helped me stay in the church. And now I get even more messages from people say, you didn't convince me to come back to church, uh, but you did convince me that I need to give my brother who's still in the church a call and repair my relationship with him. You know, and and I see that as such a huge win. And and I, I don't see a lot of effort uh, from the church proper, but even a church adjacent, there's no, there doesn't seem to be this desire to reach out to all of these people who have left. They're discarded. They're okay. Well, we don't need you anymore. You, you walked away. You must, there's something wrong with you. And, and that, that's just, it's, it's just so tragic to me, particularly when that happens within families, when that happens within marriages you know, marriages break up because a husband or a wife can't stand the fact that their spouse doesn't believe the way they do anymore. Children and their parents are estranged over over things that, that I mean, they matter, but they don't matter in terms of whether or not you love your child. And and why can't we why can't we figure that out? So so that's where this podcast comes from. And so that's me wandering all over the place. 
No, that's wonderful. Have you, Ian, have you read his CES uh, treatment? Did you read, maybe talk a little bit about how you sort of deconstructed and answered, did you read his uh, document? And then how did you come up with the idea then to do this podcast, which is so greatly needed? And if, if our viewers haven't figured it out, the reason it's called Inside Outside is because that describes our guests, Inside and then outside. So very clever title, explains it perfectly and just a wonderful dynamic between you two. So go ahead, Ian. Yeah, that's the reason why we yeah uh, call it that. Uh, so I hadn't have not read uh, Jim's response to the CS, oh. CS letter. I've also not read the CS letter. Uh, I, I've read- I haven't either. Have you read it, Landon? I, I've, I have, yes. You have read it, yeah, I haven't yeah, either. Yeah, I've read it. Uh, but I've read it, I, I read it after I'd already Pretty much uh, deconstructed. Deconstructed, right? Yeah, right. Interesting. I've read reviews about it, and I've read excerpts of it. Uh, But for Mm -hmm. me, uh, you know, it was um, you know a a life of you know like you guys, devoted commitment. I mean, really committed. Spend extraordinary hours um, away from home. You know, being a bishop, just being the last person to go home at five six o'clock at night. State presidency was an absolute killer in terms of uh, scheduling and timing. You know, everybody wants you. Being on the state presidency, you know, you organize the stake around uh, geographies and different responsibilities. It was just, it was just, your life is not your own. I remember President Banks, um, Jim, on our mission, said that the more you give, you know, the more uh, you serve, the higher up you serve, uh, your life doesn't end up being not your own. Uh, your life is not your own. And and, and I, that was my experience. So So years of, like you guys, commitment, devotion, uh, support from family in the belief that you know this was this was good for everybody um, however in in um, uh, when my daughter was uh, uh, 16 so this is going back to maybe oh I don't know 2012 2014 she read some material that was not favorable uh, about the church and she went into doing some research and, and discovered um, a lot of issues uh, she's very smart uh, young, young lady, incredibly driven, very motivated, and super smart um, individual, and, and quite a critical thinker, and brought these issues to me and said, "Dad, you know, you need to be, you need to see this, you need to read this. This is extraordinary. I've done some research. You need to look into this." And I said, "Look, it's it's without looking at it, frankly. I, I said, look, it's probably anti-Mormon stuff, and it's on the internet, and you've got to be careful what you read, and you, you should only read the church-approved." material i think we've heard that so many times haven't we stay away from the internet you can't trust it etc and she said no no no. you need to look at this dad you need to look at this so i i, I did and this was about the same time uh, rebecca landon this was about the same time when when i'm researching this with what my daughter's sharing with me and getting into it and realizing that there might be something here and there might be some issues here that the church hasn't been fully open about it was about the same time when the church issued uh, the race and the priesthood essay, which was in October or November 2013. I remember specifically there was a talk given by Elder Updorf, and it was titled "Come Join Us." Uh, for me, that was a became a um, the uh, um, if you like the catalyst for change in terms of thinking approach. Um, and research and, and further, more critical investigation. 
what I got from his talk was my interpretation when he's talking about in the past, you know, leaders or members have made mistakes. I can't remember it word for word, but he, he references that. Naively, I thought he was talking about some rogue bishop or some rogue, rogue state president. I didn't for one second think he was talking about general authorities because they don't make mistakes. And I wasn't thinking for one second he was talking about Brigham Young or Joe Smith or the original church leaders of the Restoration because they certainly didn't make mistakes. That that's that was, you know, whatever they did, uh, we would justify it in you know in some way. Even Brigham Young's outrageous racist comments and grotesque awful comments, somehow the church or some members have reconciled to that and and have, have still hold him up to be a prophet as as I did. You know, that was, it was like that back then. That's how they thought back then. You somehow justify it and you kind of write it off. And they thought differently back then. They felt differently. And I thought Elder Updorf was talking not about those guys uh, or even current authorities, but some leaders at the local level that had made mistakes. I didn't think he was talking about, you know, something else. And then so uh, about, um, you know, senior leaders, um, you know, general authorities. And then a month later, if you remember, the essay came out, the Race and the Pusher came out. Well, that, changed my world i read it and at the very end and I, I i memorized it i can't remember it right now but the church disavows itself from past teachings and beliefs of you know uh, of racism and that's a really important statement at the end and, and i did memorize it i can't remember it word for word right now but that really hit me like nothing before and i went i was thinking hang on a minute how can you say that? You know, are you saying that Brigham Young and, and, and other uh, leaders like Wolf Woodruff and, and other uh, people like John Taylor, who's from the UK, who, who also didn't uh, wasn't a big fan of uh, blacks having the priesthood or uh, blacks going to the temple, etc. Are you saying that they are the ones that made mistakes? It was it, it, a lot of it just hit me on that last uh, that last paragraph. And, and you guys are, are aware, are familiar with with that. And that, for me, was the catalyst uh, to uh, do further investigation, which I did. A big part of my research, Landon and Rebecca, and Jim knows this now, just recently, a big part of my investigation and, and, and critical uh, thinking uh, was, was initiated by, or at least triggered by my daughter, then Elder Uchtdorf's talk, and then the race in the priesthood. And, and by now, uh, I think a few months later, some Morris's came out, Joe Smith and, and, um, and polygamy and, and I, I, there's all the others started coming out and, I, and I'm reading church approved material I'm starting to talk about this on the state presidency people in the church are saying no 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 this is I, I got comments from that this is anti-Mormon material being uploaded to the church website I'm not kidding no I know people thought that no I know Landon and I are actually we're in a collaborative yeah. effort with the backyard professor and we are taking the essays one at a time and doing right, a right. whole episode each time so we're I right. think on number four we're going to do number right. four I think this week but yeah our first episode was all about the fact that people would get um, in trouble for teaching from them because everybody thought where have you gone to get this you know it was a soft rollout they didn't let anyone know and so the regular member who would read it absolutely thought that this is something that it's been hacked or you know how did this get here people got disciplined for using them so you are not wrong at all that's exactly how it went down and there there i am on the state presidency right i'm at the board meeting i'm, I'm the presiding officer i'm in charge right so you know unless the state president says he's the key who's in charge but i'm in charge of my southern area for the state 
And by the way, the stake is the size of Scotland, just to let you know, right? Uh, wow. Whole yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm there standing up at the pub saying, guys, look at this. This is amazing. Uh, and I'm seeing the essays uh, mostly, not entirely, from a positive thing. I said, guys, read, uh, uh, please read this. It's it's amazing material. And and I got quite a bit of negative feedback from the state president and from some of the members saying, you know, President Wilkes, uh, this is not approved material. The church has uh, put it quietly on the um, on the on the website or someplace on the website because it's not canon, it's not official, it's an opinion. Stop. Pro- I mean, I couldn't believe what was going on. Stop promoting wow. this stuff. And I was. I actually wrote a document. I'm not sharing this with Jim. The first of its kind in the stake about dealing with people's negative fallout and responses from dealing with the essays. And I, I actually put that together as a working document for the stake, um, thinking that we should be prepared for people with concerns and issues. And it never saw the light of day. And I should go back into that because it, it's it was produced in 2014. So more essays came out. The whole thing started to unravel for me. I've got lots of questions. I, I was told and instructed by general authorities not to discuss this with members, not to discuss this at the state presidency meeting, not to even bring this up at all. This was this was material that was not the members weren't ready for this. Uh, it, you know, I got very mixed responses. I even asked um, specifically at, at a general uh, with a general authority at a, at a leadership meeting, can we talk about the essay essays? And was told that uh, not right now. We're not really ready to, to talk about the essays. It was extraordinary. So there I, I am. To, who, do I, who do I turn to? Go ahead, London. I, I was going to say I I think that uh, the essays of people I've met probably more people have left the church because of the essays than left the church because of the CES letters. So that's Jim, probably you true. might want to write a Anecdotal. line by line response to response the essays. To the essays? <laughs> that's right. Jim needs to write a response to the essays. It definitely well, has been yeah. one of the big ones that people tell me. They say, when I read the essays, yep. I all of a sudden right. said, wait, this was, I was taught this? this wasn't true yeah. while I was on yep. my mission in the eighties, you know, and now all of a right. sudden I'm finding it, it to be that, that everything I was told was anti-Mormon stuff they're confirming was true. And I think that hurt a lot of people. And then I know that when we talked to Ian and Jim ahead of time, kind of to prep for this, you had mentioned talking to an apostle who didn't really think that, you know, the internet or any of this stuff was really going to be a problem. I mean, the essays are a direct result of people searching yeah. for things on the internet, right? Yes. And finding them. So yeah. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing that story, but I found that fascinating that I don't think a lot yeah. of people could see what would happen. The whole change in the landscape yeah. and the dynamic, just overwhelming. It's very, very, very true. So real quick, I just want to say that halfway through the essays, I reached out to Hans Matson, mm. okay. And Hans Matson was instrumental in, in helping me navigate the issues. And, and we might not have got time to go into that, but he was he was amazing. If I go back in time a little bit to the point where we were called, where Elder Oaks, Dallin H. Oaks and Elder Cook, the young guy, the good looking guy, nice guy, came and reorganized, restructured our stake. We spent a weekend with Elder Oaks training and, and meeting with him. And him and I um, had all kinds of conversations. And if you remember back then, it was at a time where a, a new initiative was being rolled out called Hastening the Work. You might remember that. Yes. And our stake, and I think a few of the stakes, uh, we were one of the stakes in Canada where that was being trialed, I think, or tested. And and we were looking at ways of accelerating, advancing the work. And I was all over this. This was an apostle who was sat right next to Milder Oaks. We talked. It, it was the time 
of the Arab Spring. I remember having a conversation with him about the Arab Spring and what does that mean? And does that mean democracy is going to come to these countries and the mission is going to be, you know, the gospel going to roll out to these, um, you know, these uh, uh, Arab countries. And he, he, we had an interesting conversation about that and, and, and amongst other things. And we talked about hating the work and we talked about how do we advance the work in the stake, et cetera. And we were talking about measuring things that hadn't been measured before, things like temple activity, which is under the uh, handbook of instructions, uh, an earlier version, you're not supposed to measure endowments or how many baptisms for the dead or how many washings anointings. You don't measure uh, any of the activity in the temple. You measure home teaching, new convert baptisms. You measure you know, how many people got to recommend, but you, traditionally you don't measure temple activity. And it, we were talking about how to carefully, strategically get people to the temple, how to how to, how to uh, create a whole new uh, ward in terms of numbers, in terms of people um, doing the work for the people in the temple. So having a goal to baptize for the dead an entire ward per month, for example. And how do we measure that? How do we measure temple activity? So, so conversations around that, how do we ace in the work? How do we get involved in extending or expanding the, the message across the community? We talked about community involvement. And he said that the internet, this is what, 2010, I think, 2009, 2010, he said, uh, we're having a, a moment, uh, a Mormon moment, that was his words, where the spotlight is increasingly on the church. I think Mitt Romney was running for president, Jim. Uh, yes, yes. So there was all that going on. I think the, London, the, the Salt Lake... Uh, I worked on the London Olympics, uh, but I, uh, Salt Lake Olympics, Winter Olympics was happening just after that. The church was in the spotlight. He thought this was great. And he said the the church is going to be brought out of obscurity and the Internet is going to help us. That was the impression. That was the message that I understood. And I think I asked him, uh, Rebecca London, I asked him, you know, what about the downside, you know, to the Internet? What about the, um, you know, the anti-stuff? What about the critical, uh, you know, thinkers, uh, the intellectuals that uh, question the church as, as they've done over the years. Uh, he didn't seem to be worried about that. You know, the spotlight on the church was all going to be positive and favorable. And I I believed him. I said, that's great. Um, and so we do, We spent the weekend with him, you know, getting training and getting some direction. I found him engaging, funny, friendly. Um, it's, it's got, uh, when you get to talk to him, he's a bit prickly, but when he opens up and he, you know, you just be regular kind of conversation with him I, I don't I'm not um I'm not bothered you know about celebrity or people's positions or titles nothing like that I don't come from that background at all I was very uncomfortable when I was called in the state presence because there was a, a long lineup of people wanting to meet with me and I felt very uncomfortable because it was like being a celebrity you know they didn't know me in the state I was quite new I was I didn't like it I, I just it was it was just weird and I felt uncomfortable and so I've never approached an authorities like that and, you know, going up and just, I don't know, just sucking up to them. I'm just not like that. And so I just had a regular conversation. I think he felt comfortable. I did. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Um, I know when I was interviewed by him personally, privately, me, him and Elder Cook in the room, the first question he asked me was, is there anything in my background that if it came to light would damage the church's name? That was the very first question. Not 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 about any about the calling or about you know my marriage or testimony or, family, or anything yeah, like testimony. that. Just is there anything the that can bite question. us in the ass? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's true. It struck me. It struck me that was absolutely the very first question. I was very interesting. No, I said I can't. I can't think of anything right now. 
You didn't uh, tell him about the stick in the will. Uh, with yeah, the I was going to say, or my family attacked a missionary, or none of that. Okay. I should have. I, I should have because I, I actually didn't want the calling. I, I was I was a bit pissed <laughs> off. Uh, I didn't want the calling. It was I had a bad experience as a branch president as a missionary. It was pretty awful. Uh, the bishop's calling was great, actually. I uh, really I really put my heart and soul into that. The state presidency thing was not for me. It it was just not. Um, I'm not. I wasn't interested in that. And so I. I, I, I should have said that, Landon. I should have told him about my, my past sins. But anyway, I think in, in the meeting, I was so blasé and not bothered. I didn't give a crap, right? I'm, I said, I, I said I don't know anybody in the stake. I'm new. I only just got here recently from the UK. Um, there was a, I did meet him in Scotland. And there was a, I was a, I think I was, I think I was a candidate for state presidency there or something from what I heard. But I was managed to escape that because I came to Canada and so I was very relaxed. I, would, I didn't give a crap, you know. I, I didn't want to get called. I, I didn't see myself as a candidate. I said, I don't even know why I'm here. I said, there are people in the state who are well known, better well known than I am, and I, I've, you know, I can bring more to the calling than, than me. You know, I don't know anyone. And so when I left, I thought that that was it. You know, I've kind of killed it, and I was genuinely happy about it. I really didn't want the calling, so I was quite shocked. I got a few people really pissed off actually that they I, they'd called me because. They said, you know, who are you? You just got to the stake. You know, no one knows you, right? Um, I, I've been here longer than you have. Uh, and and so there were three guys that were really upset with me that felt it was their turn. And I said, look, if you want the call, if you want the calling, just call Elder Oaks. I'll be glad to give up the calling. I really didn't, didn't care, right? So, and so then they I didn't believe couple. in inspiration no, because, you no. know, obviously God called you, but they, they uh, felt like they yeah. had put in their time and they just, they were the upper echelon there. That is so, and yeah. you got the callings, I think, because you didn't care. Literally, think, you appeared yeah, just nonchalant, really casual, and you did the ultimate takeaway. I don't care. And so they're like, we got to have this guy. <laughs> Brilliantly I played. Yeah. And so I, I and so if if I'd have known I was getting the calling, I probably would, I don't know. I, I didn't want the calling, and I was I was quite uh, I was a bit angry actually that I got the calling. Uh, and I remember one brother coming up to me, and, and he actually I was in the ward. I'd been in the calling for a few months, and he handed me a weird document, a very strange thing I never heard it before. He said, "Here's my church resume." And I was like, "What?" He said, uh, "If if you uh, as a state president, if you want to consider me for a calling, a leadership calling, here's what I've done." I've done yeah. this, I've done that, I've done that. and I, I was just so weird and so strange. <laughs> this whole celebrity thing with general authorities, and and so I met general authorities who were real—I I won't swear on the on the podcast here—but a real asses, frankly. And, and I won't name names, but I met some very well-known uh, general authorities who were complete prats, right? Frankly. Uh, very senior you heard level. it here, Mormonish viewers. Uh, yeah, heard it don't, here. Don't, so, don't, well, and this is you didn't grow up in Utah, Utah <laughs> and you didn't grow up in California like Jim, where we all know. I mean, the hero, you know, it was a big deal. They could do no wrong. They were just golden. Yeah. So it was a whole different and, and mentality. Then, yeah, and and then I've met people, leaders, civil authorities who are amazing. Um, and maybe to, to the surprise of some of you, the viewers, there, Elder Oaks did inspire me, and Elder Cook did inspire me. I found them engaging intelligent i found them after a conversation they're very warm and very friendly but i've met general authorities very and including a couple of apostles who um i wouldn't give them time of the day really where it's gone to the heads the heads are massive they can't you know look at yeah. me i'm a, I'm a, a god you know of general authorities look how you know i'm kind of a big deal kind of kind of a thing and, and I, I just completely switch off and i've, I've been blunt and, and open with with some of those people and I, I i don't 
I don't care. I'm surprised they even didn't. I'm surprised they didn't get excommunicated before this time. But I, I never sought those colonies. I never wanted them. For me, the church wasn't about that. It was just, um, you know, just being a regular member and doing my bit and helping people. Anyway, back to you. And so you, so then you deconstructed to the point where finally, oh, yeah. did you yeah. officially step away, or did you just kind of gradually slide? And then tell us how you woke up in the middle of the night and said, "I got to start a co podcast," and I got to call Jim. Right. <laughs> I'm sure that's not right. what happened, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be brief. I was like close. Uh, yeah, you you close, you close. Oh, uh, wow. I'll be brief. I'm prophetic. I'm, 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 you are prophetic, absolutely. Uh, I. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I won't take as long on this because of time, but uh, so it's basically, so interesting. I, I, take your time. I read, I read the essays, had lots of questions, asked the questions, <laughs> didn't get any answers, was told not to ask any more questions, told not to bring it up at any meetings, just deal with it, deal with your doubts, doubt your doubts, etc. But privately, I was really struggling, and uh, stuff was being taught at the church that was, you know, uh, contrary to, to the uh, to the church essays. And basically, the church essays became um, was it kind of confirmed some of the anti-Mormon stuff in the past uh, was actually official church thinking and positions and doctrine. So it, it was a time of loneliness, a time of difficulty. My family wasn't fully on board. I kept it private. Eventually, I did open up to my family, and 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 they were worried that you know, to, to Jim's point earlier, where this was going to go. We were going to stay together as a family. Lots of concern. I really was struggling, and so the essays were the information that did it for me it completely unraveled and i remember driving from um uh, calgary over to british columbia through the rocky mountains i was listening to a, a podcast i can't remember what it was but it was it was a uh, it was right in the middle of, of you know the essays and in the middle of my faith crisis and you've been quite alone and not really been able to talk to anyone really uh, i talked to my my uh, in my wife and and again i, I think i i think i went too too intense i think it was too much, too intense, too many, too much information all at once. So there's a lesson learned there, for, you know, for sure, in terms of how you navigate that with your with your spouse. And then driving through the Rockies, uh, something happened. Somebody said something on this podcast, and at that point, oh, it just it was like a, uh, it was just a, a penny dropped or the stone dropped, and I pulled to the side. I realized at that point that um, I'd been partly at least deceived, misled, misdirected, that the church's, some of the fundamental claims were not true. Some of them were, but some of them weren't, that the church hadn't been honest with me. And I actually wept, that's the word, pretty badly, side of the road, in the middle of the Rocky Mountains there, and I just broke down. It was uh, it was just, a, just an awful, lonely experience, and I just realized that it wasn't and again, I'm, I'm one of the guys, like many others, who, who not only wanted the church to be true, needed the church to be true. I was desperate that it needed to be true because look where I came from. I, I needed hope. I needed salvation. I needed a, some direction in life. I needed structure. I needed, um, you know, hope of a, an eternity to be with family, to be with friends, to all the promises that the, the church has made in its doctrines and, and principles. I, I needed and wanted those to be true and, and tried everything to make it work. And it just, it, the whole thing just unraveled. And then basically, um, long story short, I, I did open up with my family. We talked. Uh, my family said, look, you don't have to go. Don't go. So I stopped going. Members of my family started stopping and not going. And then COVID came along and, and the rest of my family, uh, it was a bit of a blessing, actually, really a big blessing. The rest of the family stopped going because of COVID and realized that life after church was pretty good. 
there were some pretty awful comments said about me by church members. You know, the better off without me. I fall from a great height. If I can fall, others can fall. I'm a failed father, failed husband. I'm gonna my whole life is gonna unravel. I'm gonna go off and do some crazy stuff. You know, go drinking or go do some crazy stuff. There was some pretty awful, hurtful comments of some people that I thought were friends and and um, sadly were not. It was just difficult difficult to leave with your dignity intact. And very few people, if any, well, a few people reached out, but vast majority did not. Sadly, I'd say well over ninety percent. 95% had nothing to do with me. That was, you, I lost an entire community. Of, and then I, I resigned, uh, prior to that, sorry, I resigned and um, sent the letter in. And then a few months later, got this letter back from uh, uh, membership records saying that we've received your application to remove your uh, membership. Um, this is to confirm that's been done. Re regards, that's it. No, thank you, you know, no, thank you. No, Move good along. luck. Yeah. No, not not even like a on the a rejection letter I got once for a job where I applied and they said we wish you best in your future endeavors. <laughs> I didn't. I, you know, you get that even from a rejection letter from a company that you get the job. Um, I got none of that. It was uh, yeah. You you no longer remember. Uh, regards. That was it. Done. So 35, 37 years of absolute devotion to not to just. Not even good luck. <laughs> it, it was just, it was just awful. All that effort and resources to bring people into the church, you know, extraordinary fellowship, this, that, this, service, support, all these programs, youth, YSA, mission, bishopric, just extraordinary resources to bring you in, to keep you in, um, support, wonderful experiences, you know, working with people, working, doing some wonderful things, and 20, 35, 37 years, and then. Decide to no longer go, you're dead. That's it. You, yeah. you, you're dead. So, and then the other thing as well is when my family were going to church, they no one asked about me. It was like, uh, you know, if someone dies, if, if your partner dies and you go to church, they they ask how you how you doing, how you coping, how I am. I'm sorry to hear about, you know, Ian. He he died. Um, you know where <laughs> you were worse than dead. Then is that he, right? He, he, yeah, he, Your he story got sounds very similar to Landon. He, yeah, just he was wearing done. his kilt. He was wearing his kilt. He got blown off the side of the Scottish mountain. Sorry, he died. <laughs> he was uh, trying to throw a giant tree trunk. He to, had an uh, incident. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So something happened. There was none of that. It was like it never existed. It was the most weirdest wow. thing. And the thing is, all my kids saw that, and, and my wife saw that, and that was the thing that really, you know. So anyway, fast forward to the podcast. So for me, it was a difficult time to navigate. It was a lonely time. Uh, and I, I'm quite a personal, private individual, actually, even though I'm doing this podcast. Uh, Jim's the professional master class podcaster. I'm just the amateur. I, I'm learning about podcasts. I'm very new to this. And I'm very amateur on this. But um, for me, the podcast was about helping people, really was helping people share your stories, share experiences. Yeah, get into some of the hard doctrines, some of the policies, some of the principles, have some intellectual conversations, but really about helping people. Uh, re remind them that they are worth something, that they have value, that you can't be happy, believe it or not, after church. You can actually have a, a not-so-bad life after church. Life can be quite good. And um, and you can still have friends, and you can still make new friends, and, and uh, you know you can still give to the community. That life after church is uh, can be good. It's not what Elder Ballard has said, and I did I have met Elder Ballard a couple of times. Him and I had a, an interesting conversation in Scotland once. Um, but when he said in that infamous talk now you know if you leave the church where will you go what will you do yes. 
implying that there's nowhere to go. You can't go anywhere. This is it. This is this is all you've got. This is the best you're gonna got. You're gonna get. And and you know, if you go, if you leave the, the the boat, you're gonna be in the storm. The complete opposite is true. And so the podcast is about helping people. It's about being uh, natural, having regular conversations about all kinds of stuff. It's about bringing the uh, the very diverse experience that Jim and I bring. As you can tell from the podcast here, very different backgrounds, different countries, right. different cultures, different thinking, uh, brought together in, in, into this mission. And it's also and so about- was it important to you right away to, to, you thought, okay, I want to reach out. I want to be there. I want to help people. I also, did you right away think, I want to- do this with somebody who's on the faithful side so that we can show yes. people that there can be this. I mean, it's like our podcast, yes. the tagline is um, living a joyful life on the other side of Mormonism. And by Mormon other side and by Mormonish, we mean we are all still Mormons, just more on the post side. But, yes. you know, some people are nuanced. You have to be able to have that dialogue. So it seems to me that you found that that was like your first thought. I've got to reach out. I've got to show people that this can happen. In fact, Landon, let's pull up the slide. Your cover art is so amazing for your podcast as we start talking about it. I want to to show there. Everybody has to check this out. I'm, I'm being very serious. I'm looking directly into the camera. But this is, this is an amazing podcast. And it's an unlikely podcast. We have seen other people try this even recently. And it has not worked. So this is incredible. And I think it works because these guys are such fast friends, right? And they respect each other's boundaries and backgrounds. And they just have these wonderful conversations. Um, another friend from your mission. This is the amazing Elder Palmer, who we have heard stories of. Apparently, he was just the big man on campus, right? So he and I are friends. He was in the mission, Elder Palmer, Brett Palmer uh, with Ian and Jim. And when he heard today that I was interviewing them this afternoon, he goes, oh, can I just, you know, tell you something about what I think about their podcast? And I said, perfect. I'll use this as a segue. This will be great. So this is what Elder Palmer has said um, about, and he's listened to, I think, all the episodes. And he said, I love that they and and I should point out that Elder Palmer is a post Mormon. He has since left the faith, so he's a post Mormon. Was a missionary, now a post Mormon, and he says, but he listens religiously to this podcast. He says, I love that they take a different perspective from most post Mormon podcasts. He said, for example, episode three, what the church gets right. He listened to that one. He said that was excellent. He said it highlights some of the positive things about the church and Ian sharing his experience regarding how now that he's out of the church and being excluded from so many social circles was really enlightening when you guys discuss this. He said it's so sad that you can dedicate your entire life to the church and then leave and all of that service is forgotten. So those were uh, Brett's thoughts on that particular episode. And he just said everything he's listened to so far has been incredible. And then he said that I'm supposed to remind both Jim and Ian um, that since they are SEM missionaries, that your calling and election is made sure. That's what he wants me to tell so you, you to guys. About, That's right. That's what he said. And he said, please tell both of you that you were the most fantastic missionaries. So it's wonderful to see all these guys. I mean, a mission, I've never served a mission, but everyone who has, you just forge this, these relationships, right? And it shouldn't matter across this supposed divide. And so that's what I think your podcast is all about. So, so I love that that's what you're trying to do. And I think you're accomplishing it where others have failed. What do you guys think? 
Well, I hope yeah. that's true. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I have been approached by, since I wrote my CES letter reply, I've had several people say, why don't you do a podcast? Mm -hmm. I, I did a podcast with my daughter about politics that had nothing to do with the church. Um, and that stopped when she went to medical school and decided she didn't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, just the, the idea, nobody needs to hear from me. Then we got, I've got nothing that any, you know, who cares? And Ian just kind of out of the blue said, I'd like to do a podcast with you and, and, and outline what he wanted to do. And I thought, sheesh, there is such a need for that. And I would love to do it. And I can't think of anybody I would rather do it with than Ian. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I listen to all these stories and, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because uh, the church, I mean, the, the church has has done and still does so many wonderful things uh, in my own life as well. And and when it breaks down, when something falls apart, uh, it's it's just, it, it's so frustrating to me. I, I get a lot of pushback. Uh, on Twitter, uh, I am I am more hated by some people on Twitter than uh, you know hardcore ex Mormons. I'm I'm worse. <laughs> I mean, there's this one account that has essentially made posting my. I mean, I, I I was downtown at the Tabernacle Choir on Sunday morning, and I walked out, and they were setting up Pride in Salt Lake for the Pride Parade, and there was this beautiful, lovely banner. That it was a rainbow background and it just said, know that you are loved. And I tweeted out, geez, I couldn't ask for a better Sabbath message. And this other account tweets, yeah, tab choir, come collect your apostate, you know, get rid of this guy. Oh I mean, they're gosh. so angry that, <laughs> that I can see goodness outside of the church as right. well as in the church. Yeah. And, 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 and for me, I think every member of the church needs to hear stories like Ian's. We need to hear the hard stories. We need to hear where the church sort of let us down. We need to hear the fact that people read the essays and then they don't have any sort of resources to figure out how to incorporate that into a faith that is very different from the one that they had, uh, that they had grown up in. And, and because the, the church keeps pretending like we have a choice, like we have a choice as to whether or not we're going to confront all the messiness of polygamy, or we're going to confront all of the racism that fueled the priesthood ban, or we're going to confront all of the ugly parts of our history that we don't want to confront, that we want to sweep under the rug, that we just want to pretend didn't happen, aren't happening now. And they think we're doing the church favors by not talking about them. And so somehow I'm I'm terrible because, I mean, I am still uh, absolutely a believer. Uh, at, the, at the center of my testimony, I can't get around the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Book of Mormon really is sort of the divine access point that has connected me to God, and I, I, I really can't get around that. And whenever I get frustrated with the church or get frustrated with leaders or whatever else, at its core, um, the church— uh, I I just I can't I, I I can't get around it. This is where I am, you know. During in 2015, uh, when I was struggling, really struggling um, with the the policy, the November 2015 oh, yeah. policy, uh, and I knew it was wrong. And I thought, how do I stay in this church? 
I had what I can only describe as a revelation, uh, which was not the heavens opening and Kolob uh, showering down angels and anything else. It was a powerful assurance. Part of it that God's it's, this is where God wants me. This is where God has put me. This is where I can do the most good. And, and I cling to that. And when I get frustrated with anything else, I, this is where God wants me. This is where I can do the most good. I, I, I need to stay on the inside. And I recognize how difficult that can be sometimes. I recognize the challenges. But, but if this church is going to fulfill the measure of its creation, if it's going to fill the, fulfill the marvelous potential that I believe it still has, it's going to have to do it by reckoning with the mistakes that it has made and reckoning with, with the, all of the setbacks and all of the, the ugliness as well as the beauty that is inherent in each of us. I mean, each of us is a mix of good and evil. Each of us goes through this struggle throughout our lives and the church is no different. And I found that 90% of problems with the church can go away if you can accept point blank that somebody a leader of the church can make a serious mistake and, and you don't have to fly to pieces. I mean, this idea of infallibility destroys more testimonies than just about anything else. So I mean, that's where I am. I, I, I think these conversations, they're fun to have. It's fun to be able to just go through these. And, and Ian and I end up agreeing a whole lot more than we disagree. I don't think we've had any kind of big, huge, battles over anything yeah because you don't like bash opinions you kind of express opinion but, then someone else expresses opinion you know and i can see why you're hated jim because you you have the nerve to like reach out and and actually talk to people with a very different no. point of view and find more places where you agree than you disagree you know and that seems dangerous and maybe disturbing to some people because there's a lot of othering and i've heard you say before which i think i agree with in the church there aren't tools um, for people who remain in to interact, perhaps with people who right. have left, it's too dangerous. It's too scary. Right. You just can't. And there's no kind of, I don't know, training or like you call it tools. But for heaven's sakes, we all have family, you know, in different. I mean, that would it's such an important thing to be able to be armed with some way right. to reach out and communicate. And you were doing that. And yet look at you're getting this hatred back. But you continue to do it. So we applaud you for well, that. Absolutely. It's, important. you know, I don't get hatred back. Um you know, people who call on me to get kicked out of the tabernacle choir, you know, and that kind of thing. And not, not for getting... your singing, but for your points no. of view, right? Let's <laughs> make that clear. But okay. I'm not getting okay. hatred from the tabernacle choir. I'm not getting hatred from, uh, I'm, I'm, I've gotten plenty of messages uh, from, from I'm, 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 I remember I met with uh, Richard Turley, who was the former oh, church okay. historian. He right. goes, you're the guy who wrote the CES letter reply. Oh. And I went, have you? Have you read my CES letter reply? And he says, of course I've read your CES letter reply. And he was just really glowing and wonderful about it. And uh, I, I, I mean, church leaders have been happy with that. Mission presidents have used my CES letter reply and assigned it to their missionaries uh, because missionaries don't have tools to deal with this. I mean, the CES letter was out there, that kind of, and we don't, and the only, I mean, the template, if you read the Book of Mormon, particularly, for instance, you don't see a lot of people in the Book of Mormon that leave the church and then maintain relationships with those who mm -mm. stay. Very you see black Carol, and white, no pun intended. You see yeah. Sherem, <laughs> you see Gaddy Anton, you see all of the yeah. enemies 
right? And that's the template. Yeah. So, so Ian Wilkes, he's left the church. He was a, yeah. he was in a stake presidency. He's, he's the left enemy. the church. He must be Korahor. Satan yeah. must have appeared to him in the night and convinced him. <laughs> and, be, be, and 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 I think that's where also this whole thing. I mean, Ian keeps getting pushback that his life's going to go off the rails, that his family is going to unravel, right. and you see that from people who I think are terrified. Because if you have, if you could admit that Ian Wilkes can have a good life, uh, or Rebecca Biblioteca can have a good life, uh, post Mormon, uh, then it, uh, for some people that 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 can't be allowed. Right. And and yeah. and for my part, my happiness and my faith are in no way dependent on somebody else's misery. Uh, it does not threaten go. my faith. It does not threaten yep. my happiness to know that people who leave the church can live happy, productive, and wonderful lives. And, and you know, I think for, I mean, Ian will tell you, be the first to tell you the church saved his life. And, yep. and the church, I An think, helped fashion Ian Wilkes into the magnificent human being that he is. And that endures. I mean, the goodness and and the kindness and and the... I mean, all of those things, the church really does teach those things. And the people who leave the church learn those things. I remember reading an interview with Amy Adams, who was grew up as a member mm -hmm. of the church. And her parents left when she, when she was a teenager. But she still talks about, you know, all of that kind of goodness that was sort of drummed into her as a kid. And she, yeah. you, you never lose that. And so I, I just, I would so much like to see everybody on both sides, be able to accept people for who they are and where they are. It's one of the reasons why I was so thrilled with President Nelson's talk this last conference that most people on Twitter have completely disregarded. Um, you know, <laughs> That's but, true. Jim and I were on Steve Pinecker's program talking about that talk with different people of different points of view. And we're all yeah. thinking, can't we all just get along? It's a big step. And then of course, in the comments of that show, everyone was saying, well, he didn't really mean that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, on a grassroots yeah, no, it's, level, it's... people are saying he didn't really mean get along. Yes, I think he did. So listen I think up. He did. You know? I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, President Nelson has said a lot of things where I've kind of gone, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get into that necessarily, but I, no, I mean, it's okay. I, I grew up with President <laughs> I have the soft spot for President Hinckley. I thought he uh, was the ugly yes. guy that I, you know, I really miss President Hinckley. And I'd never really warmed up to President Nelson personally. Right. And in that talk, I did. In that talk, I went, okay, I see the hand of God here. Uh, this is a message of prophet that is worthy of a prophet. Uh, this, is a, this is one of the best talks I've ever heard from anybody let alone from President Nelson. It's certainly the best talk President Nelson has ever given. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's there's just so much more joy in that yeah. approach to life, isn't it? I mean, I'm getting old enough that it's like, is it Winston Churchill that says, like, in your 20s, you care about what everybody thinks of you, in your 30s, you don't mind, and your 40s, I don't know. Eventually, you get to a point where you realize nobody's thinking of you. <laughs> like, nobody <laughs> has an opinion. True. No matter how hard your life. you think. Yeah. You know, that's the point where I've gotten to. It's like, I don't really care what anybody thinks of me. And in fact, most people aren't thinking of me. 
Uh, well, that allows you to do a podcast. When you don't care what people think, then you can put your thoughts out there. There right? you go. And you've got right. that shield. So there you, you read go. the comments, you're like, I don't care. No, we care, Mormonish viewers. We care very much. <laughs> there you go. No, but I agree. This is why we call it Mormon-ish. To your point that we're still, you know, everyone is still a more, we were shaped by the church. Like you said, Ian's story is absolutely incredible. What an incredible life, absolutely shaped, absolutely part of the culture, our parents, our children, everyone is still in it or adjacent to it. We've got to find a way to all, you know, be part of it. We, we were at Pride, Landon and I and some other people, and, and we met one of our Mormonish viewers who had been, you know, he's a gentleman our age, and he'd been completely abandoned by his family completely. I mean, from kids to everybody. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. You know, we just, we, he let us park in his parking lot to go to pride. You know, we just met him online, wonderful gentleman named James. And he's an example where they all just, we're done with you. You know, we're absolutely done with you. And in his situation, we just felt like, oh my gosh, you know, there's got to be a way to reach out. And so I, I have a lot of hope with your podcast because I feel like anybody can watch that and go, look at these, look at these two, look what they're doing. So tell us, um, as we kind of end up here, tell us a little bit about the topics that you hit, plan to hit, and then maybe a little bit about the response. I mean, I know what my response is. We know what Brett's response is. Landon loves it too. I'm speaking for you, Landon. Sorry. I'm doing a lot of talking today. I'm really sorry. I do that. I railroad Landon all the time. It's terrible. But yeah, so talk a little bit about topics that you have hit, hope to hit, a little bit of the response, and then you can tell us how we can access it because we'll just sign off and let everybody go listen to your podcast. There we go. <laughs> there you go. I'm editing right now. I'm trying to get it out before midnight. Because... Oh, you are, you're working on another podcast well, while you're on our podcast. No, no, this not right. It... Not right this second. <laughs> but, you're like, but I, I <laughs> got to get it up. one ear in and then you're editing. I get it. I get it. We're busy. We're busy. We podcasters. recorded a podcast where we went through the comments that, uh, that were made on because we went on Stephen Pinecker's show yes. and there are 164 comments that were made. Oh, some yeah. of them kind, some of them not so kind. Well, his audience is so diverse that I would yeah. imagine that you would get all different kinds. You know, he has everybody yeah. on there. So, wow. Okay. But our, our first podcast was about problematic scriptures, uh, particularly Moroni 9-9 talking about okay. the women that were deprived of their chastity and virtue. Yes. Uh, Ian had an experience with that, that, that we brought wow. up. Uh, a third one was about what the church gets right. That's what Brett was talking about. Can you right. fill, fill in for me? What was the second mm -hmm. one? Yeah. I know it becomes a blur. I understand this because I'm like, Landon, did we count that whole bunch. I mean, you do. You get to this point where you don't remember. <laughs> we recorded a whole bunch before we launched. Oh, okay. Uh, and we've also recorded hours and hours of Ian's story, which I need to get in and edit. Uh, but those are going to be bonus episodes. Uh, the most re the recent episode was the Lord forgives the computer doesn't a computer Ooh. record. Like if you, if you're excommunicated, you will never hold another position in the church oh. of any significance. Even if you're reinstated, if you you're will reinstated. not be able to make it back. Yep. That and, is and very we true. We talk about that. Uh, we talk about, um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the, even the titles. Um, <laughs> anyway, they're just going to have to go check it out. So Let's basically, go check it out. You'll, you'll any be able kind to of topic, the back and forth between them. I mean, you saw today, they're extremely entertaining, very knowledgeable and able to really discuss these issues. So, and your feedback that you've gotten, like you said, some mixed, some amazing. I mean, it's just, it's, all, it's great. Either directly way, directly is great. Very, I'm very sure. Positive. Yep. I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I love the criticism because the one that we did on Steve Pinecker's um, show, the Steve Pinecker show, 
And so uh, reading some of those comments was was interesting because some of the feedback was, you know, Ian's experiences, it can't be right because all they've seen is completely opposite, you know, in terms of how I left the, yeah. you know, left the church yeah. and lack of support or lack of interest and, and actually criticism for leaving the church. And, and they've not seen that. And so it, Ian's story can't be right. Well, it is, you know, everybody's, we, we, our, our message is that everybody has different experiences. We all have different perspectives. You know, Jim's uh, got a, a unique background and sometimes quite critical of the church. And then I, outside the church, and where Jim uh, can be critical, I can be positive. So it's kind of a yin-yang thing going on. So I'm on the outside being positive. He can be on the inside being quite critical. And it kind of balances I have out. noticed that. No, that yeah, is I, really but, interesting. But, that's but, but it. I, How funny. I, I and I think that's a good balance. I, I love yeah. and welcome uh, hard, constructive uh, criticism because uh, or constructive feedback because I like to get into that and I like to provide specific examples like on the, you know, I provided some specific examples on the feedback we got through the YouTube uh, video that, that Steve Panica released. And again, it, it's, it's quite easy uh, because you speak from experience, you give examples, you just be as factual and, and as, uh, based on the best memory that you've got. You be truthful, be honest, and you share your experience and say, look, yeah, you can have these, you know, it, we want we want members to be positive and kind towards people leaving, but that's not always the case. It, it's, you know, because other things that happen that are opposite doesn't mean that someone's story is, you know, not true. So so we, we kind of break it down. We look at the feedback. We've, we provide very specific uh, examples of where we are coming from in terms of our experience but we always try to get a balance we try to you know we don't we we we, we, we don't hold back in criticizing the church where it, it's needed frankly because i think the intent here is to improve the church where it needs to be improved and let's face it the church isn't perfect and there's opportunities to improve and that that is very clear to me and then when it gets it right when the church gets things right it's the most amazing organization in the world and so you know, the whole balance here and the feedback, we can learn from that. We can discuss things and, you know, it, with, with some degree of civility on the, you know, in the conversation. We can, you don't have to be hurtful or say unkind things or, 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 you know, make personal attacks because we have a different perspective. The other thing as well, Rebecca Landon, is that, again, with respect to Jim's experience in the church, my experience is also from a leadership perspective and not everybody's mm -hmm. being a bishop or being a state presidency. So right. there's a very different perspective on the church when you, 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 you know, you're a senior leader or a leader in the church, you meet with general authorities, you get the inside track on some stuff. Some of it is just, is just weird, weird comments, strange, bad, <laughs> just destructive and, and quite judgmental of some of the members. And then other experiences of leadership is very positive. So, you know, every leader is different, but you get an insight into how the leaders think, the apostles think, um, especially when they come and interview you and, you, and you and they set you apart, et cetera. And it's a private settings. You get, you know, if you start building some rapport there, you get an inside track. It's a very different perspective that, you know, from, from the rank and file member. And so just because members haven't experienced some of the stuff that we've experienced doesn't mean to say that it doesn't happen. You know, it, it, it does. Uh, it's not all bad. It's not all good. But the message is that, you know, with Jim's background and my background, our diverse background, honest conversations, constructive conversations, uh, critical where it's needed, constructive, you know, where that's needed. We hope that uh, we can influence in, in a very small way, positive change that's good for everyone, good for people like me that have led, because I, 
I miss I miss those guys. I you know I miss that community that I lost, and I, I would love to have some of that back. Uh, you know, but to Jim's point, how do we uh, influence um, leaders or members to to be kinder, to show more love? You know, the scriptures teach that. You know, be, you know, be quick to be quick to love, be short, be slow to judge. Uh, you know, let's not uh, be too judgmental. Let's not. Uh, what, what did President Nelson say? What was the main that quote, Jim, that he said in his talk that was quite profound? You, you, your memory of if his talk yeah, yeah, I remember because I was sitting in the choir loft in the conference center, and everybody turned and stared at me because I said thank you uh, <laughs> when he said it. You're not yeah. supposed to, you know, do commentary from the choir loft. <laughs> uh, but uh, the line was. If someone in your ward gets a divorce, or if a missionary comes home early, or a young person is doubting their testimony, they do not need your judgment. Wow. And I just said, thank you. Yes. Absolutely true. Uh, And, you know, everything in that talk was just such a home run. And, and we fall, I fall short of that. And, you know, collectively we fall so far short of that and hopefully we can we can make up some ground here yeah i think you guys are making a strong headway on that landon do you have any final thoughts or comments and then we'll ask them to tell us um, how we can access their amazing podcast i can see that jim he's outside the sun is going the sun down, is going down. It's getting darker and darker. Pitch dark. i've heard <laughs> yes. a rumor that he's a vampire if it's I am, true we'll find I am out increasingly now less <laughs> delightsome as time goes by here oh i've got like 20 ring lights are you kidding when you're over 55 you can't survive without that oh, yeah. at all so landon do you have any final thoughts again i'm sorry i was just so enthusiastic about talking to them that i i left you kind of to the side there i i just think it's great that uh you guys are talking and doing this because i i know from my own personal experience you know i i'm very much like ian uh, the whole community i grew up with left and and you're going why did that have to be why isn't there anything there why isn't there any way that we can still interact it, it seems like you know once you've left you're a, a pariah or a, 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 a enemy of some sort and and it doesn't have to be that way but it seems like uh no one's talking about it so it's good to see someone actually talking about it yeah that's exactly right so how can we access your wonderful podcast uh well if you wherever you get your podcasts we're on spotify we're on apple podcasts uh i'm not sure if we're on google podcasts yet i keep trying to submit that i don't think i've done it right uh but uh, if you just type in (laughs) inside out and then you type in our names because there are a lot of podcasts named inside out apparently we're not the only ones to think of that 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 term uh, there's a movie, the Pixar. I mean, they I st- thought of yeah, exactly about emotion. Sure they stole and, it from yep. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though it's they so came out years though. before yeah, years us. Years before. No, but it's They're so prophetic. perfectly descriptive. Yeah, it you was know, it's prophetic perfect. theft. Yeah, uh, no, there um, it is. But if you so so you can type inside out. But if you type if you type inside out, Ian Wilkes. Okay. Uh, you'll get it. Then and, you'll get uh, it. Excellent. You know, Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts. It's being hosted by Buzzsprout. Awesome. Uh, but uh, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. That the, is the, perfect. The, the only downside I noticed is doing the podcast. If you can bring that image up again, London, of the uh, of, of Jim and I, real quick. I love <laughs> that image. Like Thank it's you. so provocative. Like you're just looking at it, going, "What is this? I got to find out more about this." 
if you look closely, those are AI avatars that I made. Yeah. You really? Closely, you made them? I, start, I started growing a horn out of my right head there. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Right. Just but right I, there I, in the corner. I, I well, think that, I, I you think have left hair. the church, so I'm just saying. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. I'm not allowed <laughs> to have that beard anymore. I love having a beard, but they won't let you have it for choir. It, it, oh, for I the choir, and you're yeah. going on tour. Yeah, I can think of no, some members when they, when when they see that they'll say, "Look, see, he's yeah, evil." See. He's, he's we knew it. Well, actually, miracle. the light has left your eyes and your countenance. That's what it says to me right there. So. It, it's yeah. also completely left Jim's face at this point with the sunset. Yeah. Oh, look, he's completely <laughs> in the dark. That's right. Yes, Jim is in the dark, and the that's spirit. not what I meant. But he is in that's the dark. Right. <laughs> At uh, what time does the spirit go to bed? It's... I I think it's got to be right about now. So yes, we'll sign off so that Jim can make his way back into his home without tripping on a sprinkler head or something. So we just want to thank Jim and Ian again so much. And I feel like we covered just so many amazing you know aspects of this topic. And we'd love to have them on again. I think in a couple months, just to you know see how things are going and and once you've shot into the stratosphere and everything, you'll be too big to come on our show. So well, maybe we're lucky, Landon, that we got them while they were. They do have a very large head already so <laughs> ah, there you go that's it so we'd like to say thank you to all of our viewers and remind everybody to like and subscribe and also hit that notification bell if you'd like to be notified when new episodes drop and we actually did finally figure out how to take donations if anybody would like to support mormonish because we just appreciate all of you so much so you can find links to um PayPal and Venmo in all of our show notes if you'd like to help support the Mormonish podcast and allow us to continue to have amazing guests like Ian and Jim on. This was just an absolute pleasure and we thank both of you so much and we'll say goodnight from Mormonish. Thank you everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.